Have you ever had a moment that reminded you of the critical importance of light? I've heard of experiences when people go down to a cave or something like that and they turn off the lights and it's just, it starts driving you crazy because you realize we need this to survive. And of course we could talk about the science, the biology of how light gives life to our universe and although the the science may not have been where it is today, that sim a similar metaphor is used in scripture of light and life being coming together. We're going to see that in a moment. But I thought of a time where I was um, taking a trip. I was visiting the town of Cayanayacu in Peru. You don't have to know how to pronounce that. And we decided we wanted to, to visit a nearby town of Ricardo Palma, um, and it, Richard Palm is the literal translation of that. So we're, get, we're gonna take a trip there, but we don't have a lot of time. We don't wanna stay overnight, but around near the equator, the sun sets at exactly 6 p.m. and then it gets really dark. And if we're gonna visit there, if we're gonna have dinner with, the, with some of the believers there, if we're gonna stay around for a church service and, and, and preach there, which is what we wanted to do, it's gonna be dark by the time we get back. And we're, get, we're gonna go by river. Um, on a pecky pecky, like it's a kind of a, a canoe-like boat with a lawnmower engine with a shaft and a propeller at the back, and we're that's what that's our mode of transportation. And some people are like, I don't know if that's a great idea going at night. But the guy that we were staying with in Kayanagyaku is like, I know these rivers really well. It's going to be fine. I, I've done this before. We can we can make it happen. Um, we just need a good flashlight. Well, I had a good flashlight. I had, it was like 5,000 lumens, um, which by comparison, it's, it's probably maybe twice as bright as one of these lights, I'm not sure. Um, but I, just for fun, I would shine it across the field and like just look at the details of the trees on the other side of, of a football field. You know, that's sort of, a, it's, it's a really good flashlight. And I also had a headlamp. So I have these, these, these two tools, and of course my phone has a light, but that's, that's nothing. Um, so we get there, we're in Ricardo Palma, we have a great time. I'm using my headlamp because I've got, I'm saving the powerful light for the trip back home. Well, we, we're ready to, to get on the boat after the church service, amazing meal with the, with the believers there. And as we're getting on the boat, I notice an, it's, there's like an orange indicator light on the battery pack it's a separate battery pack for that, that flashlight I brought. I'm like, that's funny. I didn't know it had an indicator light. Uh, I hope everything's okay. And it didn't work. And I look at it again. It's literally on fire. There's no indicator light. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a fire happening inside there. Somehow the, the cables were touching. And, uh, well, battery's dead. Flashlight's dead. What are we doing now? So, so we... We've got to get back though. We, we, we set out and we try using our cell phone lights. That's not working. So I pull out this, uh, this headlamp that I had. By now I've used it enough that it's getting pretty dim, but the headlamp was the only way to go because it had a focused beam and we could see ahead of us. If we use the cell phone, we can see maybe three meters in any direction, but that is not gonna help you as you're plowing ahead on the river. Well. That was a difficult time, and that, that reminded me of the importance of light. 
that headlamp was, was enough that we could barely see a ways up, but we, we, went up, um, we went up a dead end that kind of went off the river and had to go back. There was one, one place where we hit some rapids and it's like, the, fortunately we did have a really good driver, but um, man, and then we see some lights ahead and I'm like, oh no, there's, there's like a tugboat coming towards us. And we're gonna we're gonna hit this boat, but then praise God, those lights were actually the town we were we were coming back to. They were Kayana Yaku, and we made it back safe. But that was just one moment that reminded me of the importance of lights. We associate Christmas time with lights, don't we? Um, we have a bunch of extra lights, maybe a thousand lights. Collectively, we set up maybe billions of lights across the country in celebration of Christmas. And Joel mentioned that his love for Christmas lights. I grew up loving Christmas lights as well. Um, and it, I think it goes back somewhat culturally to Christmas set in this time of darkness in the middle of winter, like just after the winter solstice, darkest time of the year, one of the coldest times of the year. And we, we love celebrating the lights and the warmth with Christmas time. But is that where it stops? I, I don't think so. Because the original, the beginning point of Christmas is tied to the coming of light into the world. I've printed out my slides since we don't have the screen up this morning, so hopefully some of you have this. Um, I, I put the, the first slide as Christmas lights. Looking back at some of the lights, the first Christmas, if you will. Probably not December 25th, but, but we're not worried about that right now. Luke 2, 9, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid, using some classic King James language for this verse. The glory of the Lord shone through the angels, and the place was lit, lit up with the light of the glory of God, representing the light that was coming to the world at that time. Matthew 2, 10, You'll recognize this passage. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Who is this talking about? Who saw the star? The wise men, the magi, exactly. So there's a star shining, a special star at the time of the birth of Jesus, the first Christmas. But of course, Jesus himself is ultimately the light. John 1 starts out saying, in the beginning was the word. And then it says, all things were made through him. In him was life, and the, and the life was the light of men. It's, it's bringing you back to, to Genesis, to the moment where God said, let there be light for the first time, and where God breathed the breath of life into mankind. And it's tying that to Jesus. It's saying Jesus is, in fact, the one who created and through whom God created the world in the beginning. It says in verse 5 of John 1, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then skipping a few verses down, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. One more verse from Luke, Luke 2, 20, 30 through 32. This is, this is just after Jesus' birth. Jesus is presented in the temple and there's, a, there's an old guy who has been waiting all his life for the coming of Messiah. And he says, among, among other things, he says, I can go in peace now, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is a prayer of a guy named Simeon, and it's a prophetic prayer, but there is, there's no new prophecy in the prayer that is given by Simeon right here. It's just referencing prophecies that were made beforehand, and Simeon is recognizing now is the time. This is the person who is going to fulfill these prophecies. And there are a couple of specific passages that this, these words of Simeon remind me of. And so that's, that's where, where we're going to go next, and that's where we're going to focus this morning. Isaiah 9 and then Isaiah 49. Isaiah 9, uh, verses 2 and 6, this is, this is a, a very well-known passage in connection with Christmas. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And then skipping ahead, for, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, his name will be Wonderful Counselor, etc. Have any of you heard that passage before? I hope so. And of course, we, we read that. We know it's, it was written hundreds of years before Jesus, but we see it perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. And actually, in one of the Gospels, I didn't put this in the notes, but one of the Gospels directly quotes these first couple of verses of Isaiah 9 and says that when Jesus went to Naphtali, when he went to some of these other areas of Israel, he was fulfilling this passage. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. So Jesus is that light. Now let's go to Isaiah 49. And, and at this point, if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to open it. I, pr I printed out verses 5 and 6, but I want to start in verse 1. Um, you, all, you all just heard this passage. Um, I, in fact, did not bring an English Bible with me, so, we are gonna so I'm using my phone, and you are welcome to do so as well. Isaiah 49, verse 1. Um, this, this is talking about the same person, developing prophecies surrounding this same messianic son of David who is going to reign and is going to restore the nation of Israel. But in this passage, it turns beyond Israel and it looks out to the nations. It looks out to the whole world. And you see that in verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, and from the body of my mother, he named my name. The prophets, um, as he speaks these words, and, and they, they, they're given by Isaiah, but they're speaking from the perception, uh, from the perspective of one who is yet coming, an even greater prophet. Um, he says, listen to me, O coastlands. So like the, the, the edges of the world, pay attention to what I say and you peoples from afar. So even in verse 1, the call goes out beyond just Israel and beyond the people that are there in that land. The servant, this is one of the servant psalms, uh, servant songs of Isaiah. Um, and, and in this servant song, again, it, it emphasizes moving and extending his mission beyond just the people of Israel. Look at verse 3. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I am glorified. Um, this is kind of the, the servant speaking of the calling of the Lord, of Yahweh, on him and his mission that he's been given. He says, You are my servant, Israel. And you're, you're like, Wait a second. I thought this was talking about Messiah. 
Is this talking about Israel? Well, not quite. You see, it, it uses the term Israel because this servant is going to fulfill Israel's role. That is the mission that Israel was in, originally given, intended to fulfill. You see, back in Exodus 19 and some other passages of the Old Testament, um, Israel is, is demonstrated that if they live in the covenant that God has given them, they will portray before all nations what it looks like to be in a covenant relationship with the one true living God. They will be a witness that he alone is God. And in fact, through that witness, through that witness other nations may turn and worship the true God and turn away from the evil practices, the idolatry, the emptiness, the darkness that they're walking in. But did Israel fulfill that? Not perfectly, and in fact, hardly at all. Israel failed in every test that they were given. And now comes a servant who is going to succeed where Israel failed. A servant who's going to... Um, a servant who's going to fulfill that mission. And let's, let's look at verse 5 to see his mission more in detail. And now the Lord says, he who, formed you, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might, gathered in, might be gathered in. By the way, this is a, a hint in the text that demonstrates to us that even though he's called Israel, this is not just Israel. This is someone separate who is going to bring Israel back to God. He says, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. When, he, when you hear this, you hear the mission of the servant, part A, in verse 5, to restore Israel. And you see this demonstrated in the ministry of Jesus, who fulfills the role of the servant. Um, as he calls the people of Israel out of empty traditions, he frees them from demonic oppression in many instances. He teaches them what it's like to live in God's kingdom, and ultimately he gives his own life so that they can be restored, forgiven, um, raised to life spiritually, and restored to relationship with God as they were created for. So part A of the mission of the servant is to restore Israel, if you will. And you see that in the ministry in the lifetime that Jesus was on earth. But part B is in verse 6. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So this servant is called to be a light to the nations. It's too light of a thing. It's not enough that you just go to Israel. Why? Because God is worthy of the worship of all nations. God is worthy of all peoples to be given this offer of salvation and restoration to himself that people from every tribe, nation, tongue will, will fall down at his feet in worship. But also because this servant is not just a human. He is human, and you see that in, in some other verses that we've skipped in this passage. But he's more than that. He is, he is God incarnate, and he is worthy of the worship and of, of all nations coming to God and to him through his work. Now let me ask you a question. When did Jesus fulfill, if Jesus is in fact this servant, when did Jesus fulfill verse 6 of Isaiah 49? 
When did he fulfill this, this part about him be, becoming a light for all nations that his salvation may reach the ends of the earth? Any ans- anyone know the answer or any guesses? All right, well, I will give you my perspective in that case. Um, you, you probably thought I was going to anyway. <laughs> You'd be right. So Jesus... I mean, the simple, the, the simple answer is, is his sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection was for all people, not just for Israel. Like, that's, that's the theological answer. But I'm going to give you the missions answer because I'm, I'm the ICS professor um, and, until the end of this year. The next slide, um, on, it's on your papers on the other side. Uh, we're, we're, well, before we get to, to the last slide, which kind of answers that question, you'll see in, I put a few review verses to demonstrate that yes, Jesus is the light that is promised. Again, look at Luke 2, 30 through 32. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And then Jesus himself in John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So Jesus is, in fact, the light of the world. And yes, his, his sacrifice and his, his resurrection gives light to all people who come to God through him. But when did Jesus actually go to the world, to the other nations, and demonstrate this light and, and present to them this light? And the answer is, well, not very much during his lifetime. But look at Acts chapter 13, 47. It's on the last slide in this handout. For the Lord has commanded us, this is Paul speaking, on behalf of his missionary team, Paul and Silas, they're going out. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, he, the first few verses, he was, they were called out on their first missionary journey. At least, we call it the first missionary journey. We won't get into that. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Whoa, wait a second, Paul. Paul has just quoted Isaiah 49.6, and I put it there beside it so that you can compare. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may, be, may reach to the ends of the earth. And Paul says, the Lord has commanded us. So Paul is saying, we're actually the Messiah. Wait, no? no Paul isn't saying that. Paul is not trying to take the place of Jesus in accomplishing salvation for for all peoples. That's not his point. But how can he quote Isaiah and say, this is God's word to us? Well, a few verses, a few chapters earlier, Acts chapter 1, I put verse 8 here. Jesus commissions his disciples and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus commissions them to be his witnesses, his representatives before the world. In John, I haven't put this verse down, but the Great Commission in the book of John is really simple. It says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And Paul recognizes that Jesus, through them, is going and proclaiming his message to the nations. And so that, 
that actually reflects on a ver something that Jesus said in Matthew 5 to 14. He said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. And yes, Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world, but he also says that to his disciples. So let's think about this by way of application. So who is the light and what is the light of Christmas ultimately? It's not the Christmas lights. It's Jesus himself, but if Paul can take this prophecy and say we have been called to take the lights to the nations, that applies to you and I as well. We are the light of Jesus the Messiah, not, not in and of ourselves, but in reflection of him and as we present him to the world. And so I'm going to close with an application, actually some homework. I'm going to give you all some homework on your last day of classes for, your, for you to accomplish on your break. I want you to think of one person this Christmas break that you can, shed, that you can share this light with. I want you to think of one person that you can share Jesus with. And there are a lot of ways we do this, and I think Christmas is, is perhaps the best time of year to do it because... Um, I, I remember a time that I was with a coworker of mine who in general seemed very close to religious discussion. But as we were driving home from the, uh, uh, the, the company Christmas party, he said, you know what, I've got to admit, this world needs more peace on earth and goodwill to men. And uh, that, was, that was an opportunity for me to, to, to agree with him and, and to point him to the one who brings peace on earth and goodwill to men. That was the announcement of the angels, of course, at Christ's birth. I think of times that we've, I've gone caroling, and just last night our life group went, went caroling. We knocked on some doors. We sang some songs. Um, it, it may be weird for some people, but it's much more socially acceptable than if you just go like a, a Jehovah's Witness in the middle of the year. So maybe we can take advantage of that. And more and more, you'll find today people don't know the story of Christmas. They celebrate all of these things. They yearn for something magical. Let me change that word. They yearn for something transcendental that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And they don't even know the story. Is there anyone that you can think of that needs to hear the story of Christmas? That's your homework. You're accountable not to me, because I won't be here. But uh, I, I pray that we would be the lights that Jesus intends us to be because he has come as the light of the world.